Welcome to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. This is Josh Roop here with my guest host, uh, Scott Larson. <laughs> and with us today, Scott, who do we have? We have the famous Jeff Rivera from the Pinball Podcast. You know it, or also known as Generous Jeff. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing great. I spent the majority of the day uh, in the back seat of a car between someone larger than me and a baby seat, so... I'm really happy to be sitting alone in a chair talking with you guys. I don't blame you. That does not sound like fun. What were you doing? Um, I was going down to Beaver, to town here in Utah. Yes, they named it Beaver. Um, so bad. To, yeah, to uh, wish happy birthday to a friend's mom. She was turning 71 and we surprised her. Nice. So. Yeah. You know what's the funny part about Beaver, Utah? And I am not making this up. The second that you drive into that town, from the south end of that town, there's a giant sign that says, eat beaver tacos. You can look it up on yeah. the internet. It's crazy. I saw it. <laughs> I did see it. Yeah. So. They, uh, well, I was at the uh, Cub Scouts the other day, and they were going on and on about how many silver beavers we had in the ward. And I just kept rocking back and forth thinking, can they just change it to buffalo or silverback or something? Yeah. Yep. No, those beavers are hard workers. So. <laughs> wow. So it's nice to be out oh. um, of the car. So. Well, you're a good man for going down there. It was fun. Yeah. I had a good time. Of course, you always have so, to slow down below 10 miles below the speed limit because that's how they raise funds down there. Well, yeah, that and it was snowing the whole time down and back. So the snow's been ridiculous. Yeah, some of those passes are pretty gnarly. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Anyway, so what else? What has been up with you guys in uh, pinball? You want to go first, Jeff? Uh, sure. Like SES wasn't too long ago, um, and obviously, being the state rep for the IFPA, I hosted that, and that went really well. That was a really fun tournament. Um, kind of go along with the the SES. We had some media coverage with that, so um, we got featured in the um, City Weekly newspaper and. Um, that was pretty cool. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, did some on-air interviews as well for the local news. So a little bit of pinball media tour, I guess. Um, we got pinball league starting up at the end of the month. Hasn't started yet, but just that's kind of on the horizon. And beyond that, I've been trying to play as much as I can just on location locally. You know, we've got some newer games out there, like the Munsters, and um, I just kind of got my own podcast going, but it's been good. It's been a good month of uh, pinball lately. So um, coming off being sick with the flu and things like that, it's been nice to be back up on my feet and playing some pinball. So Jeff, where is your favorite place to go? Um, we're uh, we're all based out of Utah, and so we're kind of around the Salt Lake City area. Where is your top three places to go for pinball? Okay, well, hmm. it, it's been shifting around a little bit because <clears throat> – I really like Keto's. Um, that's Keto's Brewery. Uh, that's got a pretty decent mix of games there. Um, I like Campfire Lounge a lot. Um, not a lot of games, but it's just a cool vibe. Um, I also like Nickel Mania down on State Street. Um, the condition of games can vary wildly. Sometimes it'll go and every single thing seems to play perfect. And then other times it can just be kind of rough but it's kind of hard to complain when games are only 15 cents a play sometimes 10 cents a play um 
I like those. And then quarters is a lot of fun um, as well. They have a lot of newer games. They've got some older games and it's fun to take people there who aren't big time pinball fans. Um, they'll play a game or two. Um, but if they're not into the pinball, they'll find plenty to do while you hammer away at the games. They'll hang out. So some good places. What, what's your favorite game right now? Oh, that's tough. I, Hmm. Probably still, probably still total nuclear annihilation. It's, it's been, it's not my all time favorite, but it's my current favorite. Like if I had to just go play one game of pinball, I'd probably go do that. I know it's going to be real short, but, um, if I was going to go flip one on, um, probably that, or actually kind of, this is weird. Uh, Spider-Man, like Stern Spider-Man. Um, I took the center post out of mine and, made it steep, waxed it up, made it kind of brutal. And that's been something I've been addicted to lately. So awesome. I have been listening to a lot of yeah. Muse lately and I listen to Muse and I think, man, they should do a soundtrack for a pinball machine. Cause that would be oh, very yeah. similar to total nuclear annihilation. Or yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. That'd be way cool. Well, you know that Muse is the reason that twilight exists, right? I know it's a random side tangent, but. Um, she was addicted to, oh, not Knights of Sedona, the one right before it. Um, but yeah, she listened to that album and she envisioned the whole Twilight Saga, I guess, from that. So, well, okay, so that that's that, that took Muse down a few notches for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not their fault that they inspired someone else, but yeah, it's cool that they were able to inspire someone else to a point of a mega blockbuster hit movie and book franchise so okay now i just can't listen to muse without uh thinking of them with diamond shimmery skin <laughs> well that that was josh's fault i didn't do that too yeah. i just sorry i broke the glass <laughs> so what brought you how long you been in the hobby now jeff um i've been playing for a long time i my dad used to drag me to the arcade and like most kids in the 90s i would sneak off to play street fighter and those types of like the jamma games you know go sink a bunch of quarters into like x-men and the simpsons and stuff like that and i'd circle back and he'd still be playing pinball in the back of the arcade um but it was it was fascinating to me at that point um and i'd play a little bit of it too but as far as collecting goes uh that's been about oh about 11 years now. Um, maybe a little bit longer, 12, probably 12. Okay. So yeah, actively collecting. It's been a while, I guess. I've seen a lot change. <laughs> well, and that's another question that comes to my mind. What are some of the differences you see from when you first got in 12 years ago to now? So the most obvious thing is obviously price is pricing. Like just, you could buy four games for the cost of one now, but like um, brand new off the line or what? Oh, uh, I mean in one single day I bought world cup soccer attack from Mars and Spider-Man. I, I, there's no way I could buy those three games in a single day yeah. now. And, um, I wasn't making, you know, I didn't have as good of a job then as I did now. It's just the hobby was way different. Um, I could I couldn't afford my own collection now. There's no way um, if I didn't build it back then. It's just different. But yeah, even games off the line uh, back then were were way way cheaper. Um, 
than they are now. So I remember when, when games were, you know, under 4,000, um, and, and hitting that 4,000 mark was kind of crazy. Um, but and now the base it's, price it's, is six <laughs> I, or, or five for a Stern pro, but, um, I think their most recent Stern Pro is like 55. I, I, I don't know. Like the demand is just there now. Um, people are going to pay it and 5,000 feels like a good deal. Um, for a lot of people, um, especially when like my, you know, uh, dialed in was nine thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, the prices just changed, but there's just different. Um, there's just a different attitude in the hobby now, and that's pro- that's actually pricing's the most obvious change. But I think the biggest change is just the attitude in the hobby. People have changed their outlook. It felt like pinball was dying for a long time. Um, and it felt like we were just holding on and keeping it alive and making it work. And it was almost like this club aspect. But now it's a community. And now it is. it feels like a real industry again. And it feels like it's legitimately growing. And, you know, pinball is just, it's it's on the rise. It's not, People want to talk about bubbles and all that. But it's, it is growing. I mean, there's no denying that there's more people in it now than there has been for quite some time so why why do you think that is like like what why like what draws people see i'm actually a relative newcomer to it but i just i'm I'm kind of random that i how i got into pinball but what is the mass appeal for people when there's so many options out there for entertainment i i think that's actually the so the word there you use entertainment i think that's actually what it is is people um, are starting to find the entertainment outside the house again. Um, I think we uh, went through our fascination of the in-home entertainment. I mean, we still have it. We all have Netflix and we still have the game consoles and stuff. But um, I think they've become so common now that it's a little bit more exciting to kind of get out and get together again. Um, it's not so exciting to play online. Like for a while, that was super cool. Like, if you remember the early days of Xbox Live or, or playing games on, on online um, with a headset and friends, especially some of the early Call of Duty games or things like that, it was the coolest thing in the world um, to be able to do that. It's now just common. And now it feels cool again to meet up and play some games together. And pinball lends itself so well to that. Um, the rise of all the leagues get people out even more. Um, you can just look at the IFPA numbers and the amount of people that are in it just to see it's bringing people out. So I think uh, the social aspect and just the fact that people are once again looking for entertainment outside the home um, is really fueling that rise of barcades and just pinball in general. So it's, it's been nice to see. Do you think it's also fueled by being a digital age now that we want something more tangible to play with? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think when we play we want to play differently than we live. And so that that's probably a pretty good observation. Um, you know, we want our games not to feel like the rest of our day. So um, a physical game, yeah, I mean, board games have even made a comeback too. Like um, they're getting pretty complex and uh, pretty crazy. So that, that probably is a part of it as well. I think what you said was really insightful in saying that 
we want to play differently than we work. I'm actually old enough that I remember getting our first computer in the 80s, and it cost like $5,000 back then, which is still kind of a crazy amount when you think about it. But getting on the yeah. computer was a novelty, and getting on, you know, it was completely different. But you're right, so many of us are so tapped into computers and tapped into technology that it, it's really healthier for us to step back from that. I never considered that as a, as a possible rise to this. Right. Well, do you remember like being blown away by some of the early adventure games like King's Quest or Space Quest or something? And they were so exciting. And if you show that to a kid now, they don't have that excitement. They might enjoy it and they might think it's fun to figure out the puzzles and what to type in and click on or whatever. But they just don't get wrapped up into it because it's so common and they want something different now. It's interesting. Well, when I was a kid, so uh, I grew up in the 80s. So I, I was born in 74, grew up in the 80s. That was when, uh, that was the heyday of arcades with actual games that came out. And when you saw Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, you'd never seen that before. I mean, in, interacting right. with something on the screen was something you never saw. And so it was such a novelty. And when these games came out, you didn't have, you didn't have the access of, I'm stuck on this level. I need to go into Google it because Google didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. And so you basically had to ask your friends, Hey, how did you get past this? And that was kind of a community there to t say, Hey, what did you do? How do you win now? Uh, I would say the majority of people just buy a game and get a walkthrough. They, they just Google a walkthrough. And so they're just following someone else's footsteps, but you can't really do that with pinball. No, you have to figure it out. Yep. Well, and the other thing you, I want to rewind back to what you were saying earlier is at one point it felt like the hobby was dead and you guys were just trying to keep it alive. Um, yeah. I think we can see that to this day. And the reason I say this is when I got in the hobby about five years ago, um, the first pinball machine that came into my life, I didn't necessarily own it, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I love the theme. That's like one of my dream themes. And I started playing it and I kind of got let down because it's it's fun to shoot. But once you've collected the four turtles and start the multiball, there's not really much more to it. <laughs> right. And so um, I started to do a lot more research before I bought my first pinball machine. And I ran into videos from, from you, Jeff, about how to like wax uh -oh. your taxi. <laughs> and yeah. one of the other guys I, I watched a lot of was Chris Bucci. I don't know if you know this guy. Yeah, it's uh, like Spider. Uh, his name is like Spider or something, but I know he does that Bucci's arcade videos. Yes, and it's um, got like the cheesy like 90s like intro music. I love it. But he, yeah, he does all his games. Yeah, he did uh, a full in-depth on like Big Bang Bar and all that jazz. And right. So, They're good videos. And those videos are all from like 10, 11 years ago. And so I think when you guys were trying to keep it alive, it helped jumpstart this new generation as well, because then we had right. content to go back to. Yeah, for sure. There, There's an older podcast that it, it wasn't a pinball podcast. It was um, actually a video game podcast, but um, it's called A Life Well Wasted. And if you listen to the Steve Ritchie interview on that, yeah, uh, it's after he's left Stern and he's taught most of it is talks about how he's going deaf and how he sounds super depressed and pinball's dying and it's going to be dead. It's amazing to hear how different his tone is then 
to what it is now. Steve Ritchie loves pinball again, and he loves doing what he's doing. It's a life, a life well wasted. Um, just find the episode of Steve Ritchie. It's amazing to hear the, the shift in tone. I, I still remember listening to that episode, putting Christmas lights on my house, thinking, yeah, pinball's probably going to fade out as far as new games go. Um, it's just going to happen, but it's okay. We'll, we'll keep it alive. And it's just, I don't worry about that anymore. Which is really funny because like you look at it now and how many titles do we have coming out a year from multiple companies that didn't exist more than five years ago. It's just insane right. to see where the hobby has come from since then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. If you look at exactly what you're talking about, when I got into pinball, I actually watched two documentaries. And so I got into pinball three, four years ago. And one documentary I watched was, uh, it's called The Way of the Puck which is actually, it's these guys trying to keep air hockey alive, like competitive air hockey. And on, on the whole of it, you look at their passion and it's pretty amazing, but it's pretty sad that their world doesn't exist anymore. And then of course I found special one lit and, oh, yeah. and you look at that and it looks like the apocalypse. I mean, it starts with a whole bunch of dead pinball machines in a field somewhere and then it ends with a whole bunch of dead pinball machines in a field. And I, I started thinking, well, okay, so I'm getting into a hobby that is dead. Um, maybe I'll just start listening to some podcasts and so I can figure out what was good about it. And then I found your pit, your podcast. And so it was just yeah. interesting to see that that was a snapshot of an era when it was probably the nadir of pinball and the, the popularity. And since then, we're in the new golden age of pinball. And I would argue what we've seen in the last eight years of pinball, it rivals what they had in the 90s. And we're on the ups, ups slide as opposed to the downslide. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that is happening now that just, it, it points to so much healthier of an ecosystem for for the companies and for the players. It's just much, much better now. Well, and I think the interesting part about pinball as well is the fact that it's been around for almost 100 years now in the mechanical form that we see now. Um, I think it just goes to prove, yes, we as technology advances, pinball is still going to come back around. And I, I don't know if it's because you have these generations that grow up with it and then it kind of dies off and then those generations go, well, where did it go? And so they start to bring it back and it, it, it is cultivated within their kids and it comes back. And, I mean, we see the, the the dying off and the coming back. I mean, they said that pinball was going to die back in the early 80s when they our first arcade machines were coming out. And they right. were fighting just to stay relevant. It basically did die. Like with the rise of arcades, uh, I remember going to the arcade at the local mall and they had a flash um, in the corner. I never put one quarter in it because I thought, oh... I, I'm going to lose my quarter in about three seconds. However, I'd put it in Donkey Kong and die in three seconds. Who wouldn't really consider that was lost? But it really was, it was in hibernation from 83 to about, you know, 89. Well, then you had a giant leap forward then. I mean, look at Adam's family in 92 selling the most units any pinball machine had sold at that point in time. Before that, it was Spirit of 76 with like 12,000 pinball machines. And that was from... 1976 and then we died off again towards the end of the 90s through the through the 2000s and now you get to 2010 and it starts building steam again and 
I, I think we'll see these roller coaster waves with the hobby, regardless of what happens. I don't, I know that like you said that we felt like it was dying off, but I don't think it will ever get to that point. And I could be wrong, but yeah, I'm not, I, I don't know. I, I it, everything's cyclical. Like it, there's, there's pinball's a hobby and hobbies enjoy their times of, of fascinations and, you know, getting ignored to some degree. But, um, I think the the hardcore base has expanded enough that it's just going to be in a better spot for longer periods of time when it finds those good spots. But but yeah, it's always going to have a little bit of an ebb, of, ebb and flow um, effect to it. But uh, I don't I just don't worry about it dying like I used to. At least. <laughs> well, the interesting part with this spike versus any other spike of pinball history, and I know that you've discussed this before with Jessica on your podcast, but it's now in a home market. Like I know Steve Kirk was saying back in the day, like one day we'll see pinball machines as a home piece instead of just an arcade piece. I think, I think right. that's another thing that really helps too. Once it's gotten into the home, it, it will grow better roots, so to speak. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good th- call back to that. It's, he was very smart to see that way back then. So Jeff, what don't you like about the current uh, environment of pinball that, it has changed since you got into it. Um, well, or, huh. well, not necessarily don't like, but what is your least favorite aspect of it? Uh, that's hard to say. Cause like, I'm pretty happy with most stuff. Like I've really liked, you know what, actually, um, I, I, the Whopper fascination, uh, the, the points fascination kind of bums me out a little bit. Cause I see people, lose sight of what they're actually playing for. And that's fun. Um, when they're playing to just, you know, juice their world ranking, it, it, it's weird to me because your ranking might be higher, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're any better. Um, and there's sometimes just shenanigans that go on with that people treating each other poorly in tournaments or tournament situations. Um, I love competitive pinball, but yeah, there's just some things around uh, around it that people get a little odd about that that I'm not super happy about. Um, I do worry about sometimes the build quality of product. I've had some issues with some machines. I understand that that's part of inflation, as you can either cut quality or you can raise cost. But I feel like we get it on both ends a little bit. Um, so I do worry about that some. That doesn't affect my enjoyment of playing pinball so much. So I don't want to talk too much about that. Um, the other thing, and this isn't a super widespread problem, but uh, I think a lot of people want to use pinball as a ability to, um, I don't even know how to put this in words, but like, be someone different than they really are. Uh, And that's not unique to pinball. It's just, I don't know. I feel like people are like using pinball to try and popularize themselves in some weird way. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know how to explain that. That, That's weird. I like, they're trying to look cool in forums. They're trying to be cool at events and stuff. And um, I, I can see that. I can kind of see what you're talking about there. 
Yeah. yeah. It just kind of bums me out. Like, let's just get together. Let's just play. And like, I think seriously, the number one rule of pinball is to just like, be cool. Like, just be cool. Like treat each other. Right. And most stuff will take care of itself from there. And there's just a few people that haven't figured out how to do that. So. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that with like the, the personalities and stuff like that. I think it made me chuckle. Like was it a month or two ago when Jack danger did this stuff with Jeffrey star. And to us, Christopher Franchi's like a really big icon right now in the pinball hobby because of the artwork he's been doing and, and how fantastic it looks. And um, Chris had posted that he was in the bar with them, but he could not even get close. And Jack had seen that and said, come on over, Chris Franchi. And then like all the Jeffrey Star people that were in chat watching the stream as they played pinball was like, who the crap's Christopher Franchi? Like, why should we care about this? Right. Guy? And so I think it brings to a point that, yes, like Christopher is an awesome dude and we all respect him and whatnot and what the art that he does. But once you boil it down to, to, to the base, no one knows who he is outside of pinball. And that's just the cold hard facts. Right. I mean, you could even, I doubt if you walked up to anyone on the street and said, Hey, do you know who Roger Sharp is? Like Roger Sharp's probably the most iconic name in pinball. I, I don't know if you get much of a response. So I agree with you that we need to kind of like settle down. <laughs> Some of us need to be like, chill out. Cause we just need to get along. Cause it's kind of crazy that we're using our status to, to make different big fish in a small pond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, sure, but that that's not a u- unique to pinball either. So you get people who are, no, no, no. It's not a pinball yeah, problem. It, it's it's just, it's just a you know they find a you know video games will do the same thing. They'll get an avatar and they'll be a, a bully or a, an aggressive person online. And you know, it's just, yeah, all, all I'm saying is I'm just seeing that rise a little bit more, and I think over time that will moderate. Uh, I think people will shout that down. Um, it just happens in a growing hobby there's just more space to act out a little bit mm-hmm. so well that's what the nice part about yeah. our hobby it's so small that you can't you can shout it down so to speak you know uh it kind of fixes itself over time if it's becoming out of control so well they move on eventually people tire of it and of their drama and they move on correct while we're speaking about longevity of pinball and that's kind of our theme for this episode i want to know jeff what certain titles make you feel like they never grow old that give you that longevity for your collection? Um, what it is about them or specific titles. I, I missed what you were uh, asking. What about the games? You can use specific titles as examples, okay. but I, I feel maybe layouts and themes and stuff. What, what lends to that? You know what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah, like, it's 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 hard because the there's so many layouts that are similar, um, especially when you're dealing with like fan layouts. That it, it's funny how one game will feel like a dog and one game will feel amazing. Like Lord of the Rings and Sopranos are very very similar layouts. Um, if you overlay them, it's scary how similar they are. But Sopranos is fun to play on a location once in a while. But Lord of the Rings is a game people hunt down and have a hard time letting go of. Um, And so the layouts, one thing, um, but there's there is a feeling of, I think, satisfaction that comes from 
not just the rules because there's games that have great rules that maybe have a crummy layout and you don't want to play them. Like for me, I, I don't like Batman 66 at all. I think the layout sucks, but it has fantastic rule set. So it, it's the marriage of those two that come together just right. Um, and when that happens, I, I just don't get bored. I don't get bored of the game chasing high scores um, when that combo's right. Like I mentioned that I've been addicted to Spider-Man lately. Yeah. Uh, that's a game with a very basic layout. It's It's got a lot to shoot for, um, but it's basically Steve Ritchie's take on Attack from Mars yep. um, with a cross shot. And so it's not anything fancy, but the rules are deceptively deep on that. Not overly complex, but they're deceptively deep. And I just keep coming back. You can play it um, on a very simple base level, or it's like, oh, I'm just going to you know, hammer away at the villains. Or you can go through the modes. And having those options um, just lets, lets me approach it how I want to that day. Um, and then when the shots are enjoyable, it just I just keep coming back to it. I've had that game for, you know, since it was new, new. And... I, I love it. And I've had other games that have come and gone that probably had objectively better layouts or, uh, you know, probably considered better rule sets, but they just weren't married together as well. Um, rules and layouts as that game. They're just in perfect harmony with each other. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I actually have uh, two games uh, next to each other. One of them is Tron and the other one is X-Men LE. And mm-hmm. they are, it's exactly the same. Actually, X-Men, you would argue, has more to it. But that didn't capture the imagination of everybody like Tron does. And, right. and really, if you look at X-Men, aside from the sound, which is, is arguably one of the worst productions Stern has done, <laughs> um, aside from Wolverine trying to get it on with the game, um, but it's just doesn't it doesn't have that same vibe and i think it's that perfect nexus of theme music and layout and rules where and also you know everything together kind of coming together um imagine having total nuclear annihilation without the soundtrack yeah it would would hurt the same yeah well, I think that also is what lends to longevity and pinball, at least in my collection. Uh, some of the games that I have are games that I feel like I can somewhat obtain the uh, final mode, not consistently, but it's something that still challenges me and I can go out there and do it. Like my favorite is Attack for Mars. I love the humor. I love the the artwork, except for the, the lady's hand down between the flippers, but I'm not going to go off on that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but everything about that machine is like just perfect in my eyes. It gives me a challenge. And even though you're, it, it's kind of doing the same thing over and over, it still feels different every time you have a different way to approach it. And um, there's just something about the missions in the bottom middle too, the six missions that you've got to complete on top of it to rule the universe. And I don't know. I think, I think theme lends to it, but it doesn't necessarily hinder it. Because like a game like The Shadow that I really enjoy, I would love to have them in my collection. Um, but the theme doesn't really speak to me because I've never seen The Shadow and I've heard it's a told turd. I, I can't really attest to that. <laughs> but I Don't think, watch it. It's actually better playing it without it. 
<laughs> kind of like my Johnny Mnemonic. It was a lot better to play it than to watch it. Just pretends the Matrix. Okay. Yeah. So Attack from Mars. It, it, so if you're going to ask me what my favorite pinball machine of all time is, I'll probably say Twilight Zone. But if you're going to ask me what I think the best pinball machine of all time is, I'll probably say Attack from Mars. Why is that? Because Why is the two different from that? Um, Twilight Zone, I just like playing the most. I It's one of the first games I really lusted after and went and got. By the way, it was $1,700 shipped in from California. Oh, it was just wow. a different time, man. Um, anyway, uh, and uh, it just has the sound, the music. It's big. It's got shots all over the place. Now, it, playing in a tournament setting, it's pretty bland you're just going to go after your multi-ball or whatever and you're not really going to play the modes out but if you're playing the game um the way that lawler designed it it just has so much going on it's just crazy i just think it's i just love it like i i can i've never got sick of shooting that thing he used every inch perfectly but um i find attack from mars is like the most pure pinball experience in the modern era all the shots are perfectly dialed in um like nothing feels off or wrong on that it every shot flows just magically um the rules are great there's fun little hidden things to find in there and it's it's plenty of challenge to get to the end of it but it's straightforward as well so it's just it's hard to criticize it um and there's not things in the game that punish you for playing well. Um, a lot of pinball machines do that to eat your quarters. Attack from Mars is just, if, if you miss your shots, you'll get punished, but it won't punish you for playing well. And so it's it's just, I think it's perfect. Oh, yeah. yeah. I totally so agree. So that kind of moves into the next topic is you, I know when you first got into the topic, you were turning over games very, fairly regularly. But yeah. how do you mix having um, the all-time great games that you want to hold on to and also keeping your collection fresh and interesting? Uh, yeah, so for me, I I mean, I have the the greats that are great to me. Um, like I have Attack from Mars and Twilight Zone and, um, you know, those are a couple that people would always point to uh, if you were building like a cookie-cutter collection of the great pinball machines. But... You know, I've had uh, all of the A-list games over time, like the Indiana Jones and Adams Family, and you can you can go down the list. But um, I I was having probably one or two games coming a week and going a week for for quite some time. I've had well over a hundred games come and and go, and really what it was is I wasn't keeping anything for what it was, what the game was itself. Um, I just kept what I liked and. Um, what I noticed just got the most play. Um, so something like Indiana Jones, um, I worked hard to get one and it surprised me a little bit when I sold it, but it just wasn't getting played. Um, and so I let it go. Um, and then, you know, when I got, uh, like ACDC, for example, I got it brand new in box. I thought, you know, it, I played it at a show and I fell in love with it at the show, so I bought it. I thought maybe it would stick around a year, and I still have it, and I don't think it's going anywhere. So 
I don't always know what's going to be that long-term stay, but soon as I have no desire to turn it on as I walk past it, um, it starts creeping towards the, the trade block or seller's block or whatever. I mean, and I have some weird ones that have been around for a long time. I've had Bride of Pinbot for like eight or nine years now. Like that's probably a long stay for that game for most people, but it's I still fun, like it. It's a fun game. I, I like the gimmick games, yeah. the, the novelty games where it's you, you don't have to overthink it. You're just having fun. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've made it like really hard, but yeah. Well, I know what you mean too, because um, they're, like one of the big games I won when I first started in the hobby was Fishtails. I don't know what it was about that game, but it really spoke to me. I got it. I played it for about a month and then it was just like, I don't hate the game, but it definitely is for a small collection. It's not one you should have in a small collection in my personal opinion, because it's really just left ramp, right ramp, right right up the middle. And so a game that I was like, thought would be something in my collection for quite some time because of the theme and because of the play of it ended up only being around for like three months if that and my son killed me for it. he's like i can't believe you're getting rid of that i mean he loves fishing that was like his thing but it just <laughs> if i don't have enough space just to hold on to pinball machines at this point and so it just wasn't gonna stay so i get i get where you're coming from on that yeah when i got fishtails i thought that was gonna be staying around and it didn't ever make it out of the garage after the shop job down to the collection it moved on so same deal here and uh, I had that, I know the, the there's a lot of rant and rave right now about Congo. I own that one. Um, and I kind of was the same thing for me. Once I got all shopped out and started playing it, it was enjoyable. But I just felt like there was better games out there to own in my collection. And like I said, it, it's one of those conundrums of if you have the space for 15 machines, then it's not that big of a deal to have a Congo. But if you only have space for four or five machines, that's one extra space that's being taken up, especially if you're walking by and going, I'd rather play my other three games than this lap, you know, than Congo at this point. So I, I think also you can look at your games and this is kind of where I'm living right now is thinking, okay, if I didn't have that game, even if I had to bring some money to the table, could I leverage that value into something else? And when you look at it and say, well, like I, the game that I bought kind of sight unseen and really have never really bonded with is Shrek. I, it's a fun game. It's it's interesting. It's different than the other ones. But in the back of my mind, I think I could just dump a few more thousand dollars into that and get something I really want. Um, and so if something is just being a placeholder, then I, I say you're right. Just move it on. It, I, it, it used to be harder to move. I mean, I'm sorry. I think it's a little bit harder to move games these days, though, because there's more anxiety that you won't be able to get it back. Right. One, because pricing has gone crazy. Um I could I could think of a ton of games that I sold that to buy it back now would just be crazy. I'd pay double to get it back what I sold it for. Or just that the demand is so much higher than the supply. Um, it's a long time before it comes around again. Back when, you know, you could hop on to classifieds and just take your pick. Uh, it was super easy to, to flip a game that you just weren't having that much fun anymore. Or if you just wanted to shake something up, you could sell your favorite game and you could buy it back at six months. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, it's just not that luxury is gone now. Well, that's what's crazy to me being in this hobby. When I started five years ago, um, I remember kind of trying to go through what I wanted. And the first one I set my sights on was World Cup Soccer. 
And when I bought that, it was pretty hammered, but I got it for 600 bucks. I was pretty proud of myself. Yeah. And it worked. I could turn it on, but I had to go through it. Um, and at that point in time, like you said, you could kind of have your pick. I saw a Jurassic Park for 1500 on KSL. And I thought that's ridiculously priced. Like my wife, that was one, that's still one of her dream themes and we still have never owned it, but she wanted that. And I was like, I, I fought with myself for a month and it sat there for a while. And then I finally just decided against it. And now I wish I would have bought it because what they're like 2,500 and you still have to have them shipped in, at least in Utah. You don't see them very often here. It's yeah. Really weird, but yeah, I, that's one of my games. I actually regret selling is my Jurassic Park. I sold it for double what I paid for it, but now to buy it, it's still quite a bit more than I even sold it for then. So I think that wraps it up for our, our interview questions that we had. Did you have any others for, for Jeff Scott? Uh, no, I, I think that's good. Let's, let's move on to, uh, to the news from American pinball, or at least the, uh, the themes that they're, uh, that they're working on. Yeah. So, so it was officially confirmed that America, American pinball had secured the licenses for Valkyrie, Robin hood, poker run and Sherlock Holmes. And my personal opinion when I saw this was, uh, they're pulling a Disney. And when I say that is they're trying to buy licenses that have some familiarity to them that don't necessarily come with the licensing costs. That's what I thought. It's, it's a, it's a free brand is what it is. Um, the funny thing is I'm looking at all these, these four and I think Valkyrie could be interesting depending on who actually does it. Uh, if you think about, um, either, uh, the concept art for Alice in Wonderland or a magic girl or something like that. If they did something like Valkyrie, that could be something interesting in the right hands. Uh, Robin Hood, they try to reboot this thing every five years. And I'm sorry, unless you're going to have Kevin Costner on there with his bald mullet, then I I think there's no chance that thing's going to fly. Poker Run, no one really cares about a poker pinball machine. It's It it just doesn't work anymore. And Sherlock Holmes, really, it seems kind of like a a dead option um, unless you're going to get uh, Benedict Cumberbatch on there. Right. Even at, even at that, some of those like themes like Robin Hood or Sherlock Holmes have been done so many ways that it's really hard to find an identity with them. I mean, you can go to the $2 DVD bargain bins and you can see like animated Sherlock Holmes where it's like, there's some mice that there's, Sherlock Holmes animated series and it's like some weird, you know, crazy take on Sherlock Holmes. And then next to it, you have some weird Chinese made animated Robin Hood that's just cheap, you know, 3D animation. And there, it just happens because, again, they're free licenses, as you were saying. But that licenses is so hard to differentiate unless like Scott was saying, you can get Benedict Cumberbatch to do it. But even then that feels like it's kind of a little bit beyond its peak. Um, It's fast. It's like releasing a Pirates game. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Those aren't just, it, it feels like a generic license, even though it's, I mean, there is a little bit of weight to Robin hood. It's just, I don't know who cares anymore. It's just been beat. It's just been done so much and in so many ways. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate just for a minute or two. Um, two 
of the best pinball machines, considerably the best pinball machines in all of pinball history, are Attack from Mars and Medieval Madness. If you could take, I mean, I've heard people um, say that American is the new Bally Williams. I, I can't say yes or no to that, but I've heard some of that thrown around. Do you think that they could take Robin Hood, like they've taken Attack from Mars with all the cheesy B B uh, alien movies? Or Sherlock Holmes with everything, because Sherlock Holmes is—you uh, don't have to know all the background history of Benedict Cumberbatch or Robert Downey Jr. Right. and all that jazz. You could easily do because everyone knows like that's elementary Watson. Like you could easily do kind of like the humor meshed with the pinball machine, just like an Attack from Mars. I think it could play out really well in that aspect, as long as they don't take it too seriously, but they don't go too with, silly. Yeah, don't go too silly either. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on Attack from Mars. That was really a, a lazy ripoff of a movie that was coming out at the time, which was Mars Attacks. And uh, I think people just associated that and thought, oh, this is a big budget movie. Oh, this is a pinball machine. It's got to be related somehow. And if you look at Medieval Madness, well, Medieval Madness is really Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, and so they really are they're borderline licenses without being that I don't really see that the same thing with American pinball. And if you look at the reason why Stern has Stern has found the formula, it's like writing a Bon Jovi song. It's the same song, but some reason people buy it. Um, and so if you look at the reason why they're pushing, uh, bands and, uh, you know, it's either a band or a movie or something like that, that is tied to a theme. It's because, it is successful. It sells because it, even if you look at the Beatles, which is arguably the, the most expensive license of all time. Okay. So here's the math on it. Let's just say that it's a million dollar license, which is, you know, he said was what the first seven figure license. So let's just pretend it's a million dollars. If they sell 960 or 1965 of them, that breaks down to $508 a, a machine. And so if you can make a machine that actually has uh, some sort of license that is good and do it for 300 bucks a game, why would you not take that and immediately get that brand? Because they've already spent a billion dollars on marketing that brand as opposed to trying to plow your own, you know, your own turf. Um, dialed in is great, but I think everybody still kind of looks at it and says, well, the theme's not really my bag. And there's a reason why... Lord of the Rings still holds up all these years later is because it is Lord of the Rings and not like a doodle jump or something. Oh, doodle jump. <laughs> Ooh. I got eliminated on a tournament on that game. You had to say that. <laughs> oh, for some odd reason, I thought it was the uh, mobile game that everyone was obsessed with like eight years ago. Where you... Oh, it's, it's doodle bug that I got eliminated on. I just, doodle jump was yeah. too close. No, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I I look at Stern right now, and, and don't get me wrong, I appreciate what Stern's doing. I really think that they are presenting a good product, but I feel like they've become stagnant in their, their layouts and stuff like that. I mean, honestly, everything they're putting out is good right now, but the last great hit they've had, ACDC, I mean, everyone can argue right now. You could say it's Batman 66. You could say it's Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever it may be walking dead walking deads yeah walking dead but when i when i look at a borg layout 
I see very a lot of similarities between each one of his games. I don't feel like there's a massive difference between each game to realize that we're heading in a different direction every time we see a pinball machine. And that's not a knock on Borg. That's just the fact that, you know, family outs are all pretty, they, they have to be laid out a certain way because of the shots that you have to take. And so you can't take too much risk without it feeling clunky and whatnot. But I don't know. I just, I don't think, I don't think theme necessarily is what make or breaks a pinball machine at this point. Right. I mean, it's a big part of it for, uh, for some people like that, that are like their initial draw to it. But as far as like your enjoyment over the long term, yeah, I understand. It's well, are, are you going to have a Lord of the Rings downstairs or are you going to have a Wheel of Fortune? I, I, I let, let's just, let's just assume that Wheel of Fortune has this amazing rule set. You're still going to want to look at something nice. True. But I, like I said, I keep kicking it back to like giant mnemonic and the shadow. And I guess the other thing that plays into that too is price. Do you want a giant mnemonic, a shadow, and possibly something else for the price of a Lord of the Rings? Or do you want a Lord of the Rings? <laughs> so I, I think most people would rather have one great machine as opposed to three mediocre ones. But that, that's my take. Yes and no. I think it comes back to space and availability at that point too. So yeah, it goes in flux. I think your um, change, your taste will change over time. Um, what what you want? Like I've lately been fading back to the older games. Like I've loved Solid State and EM games um, a lot lately. I think that's why TNA has been really scratching my itch. <laughs> Um, like one of the games I really want to chase down is a skateball. I tried and just missed one today, but, um, I don't know, like as your taste changes, I think your, your, uh, opinions on theme or the price tags of what comes with those things. Um, it just gets shifted around a little bit and it might, it might be a little bit cyclical. Like after, after a while I might be ready for some of those really fast more modern take games again like say yeah give me these games just crank it up to 10 on speed and more modern themes and are bright and flashy but we'll see i'm kind of right there with you too jeff i guess my first game was is uh an uh, amazing spider-man by gottlieb and i actually liked the shots on it because i felt like i was just shooting different shots and for um being new to the hobby i wasn't looking for the depth i wasn't looking for I mean, really, the only complaint I had at that point was it didn't have multi-ball. And yeah. um, I enjoyed the shots and whatnot. But it it makes me curious. I would like to get my hands on a Beatles. I really think Beatles would help, kind of like a TNA, scratch that itch and feel that kind of that, not floatiness, but it's, I don't know, there's something that's appealing to one of those classic games that's they're short, but they're still fun. See, I would be interested in the Beatles as a retheme because I, kn I know it's a retheme already, but the 1964 Beatles does nothing for me. However, maybe in 1967 right. or 1969, but I looked at the song selection on that and, and I am a Beatles fan. And I looked at that and thought, I'm not interested in any of these songs. Well, maybe Beatles is the new Woe Nelly. Maybe, I don't know if they have to keep paying, paying Dennis Norman now that he's gone. I don't know if like he owns the rights to that layout or whatever, but maybe they'll just say, Hey, 
we're going to start retheming Beatles for everything else who got out the door. And maybe they won't just because at this point, it, I mean, Beatles is kind of a high price tag and all that jazz. And it was the limit bill or, you know, the limited run of it and everything. If you remade it and made as many as you wanted, that kind of knocks Beatles down a, a peg besides the theme, I guess. Yeah, but sure. I mean, how, how many games are they really selling over 2000 of? I, I, although they said it's limited to 1964, that's probably pretty close to their run on most games. Now it's 1965. After poor Chris Franchi's got well. washed out and destroyed, <laughs> they're oh. building him a brand new one. So I, I don't know if that technically still counts as 1964, but it's the CF edition. Yeah, <laughs> it's the the under the or not. Under that's the for C, Christopher correct. Franchi anyway, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> CFLE. Yeah. I was singing the Yellow Submarine one, but. So moving on, uh, just wanted to do a quick shout out to Dennis Creasel from the Eclectic Gamers Pinball Podcast. His house got broken into this last couple of days, and there was a bunch of stuff stolen. The pinball machine seemed safe, and I don't know how he's doing, but it looked like he got a brand new pinball machine put into his home during all this mess. Uh, I think he ended up getting a total nuclear annihilation, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. He did. He did. Yeah. Okay. And so... Um, I guess, I don't know, I, my heart goes out to him. I, I I live in a small town, so I don't have to worry. Well, we, we do get break-ins every once in a while, but it's funny when a, a break-in happens, it becomes like a city-wide thing here, and everyone kind of like catches the bad guy. I don't know how else to put it. And so I out there, I don't know how it is out there, but it reminds me of that episode of Big Bang Theory where the guys get their stuff broken in and Sheldon never feels safe, like he's shoving the dresser against the front wall and stuff like that. Or the front door. I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is my heart goes out to Dennis. That's got to suck. Yeah. It's, that's, you, you just feel violated. Uh, it's, it's horrible. Sorry, Dennis. You're a good dude. I know you. We've played pinball together. I crushed you. <laughs> wow. Wow. That was that very sincere. Yeah. I just had to twist Sorry, dude. I still, I still ruled you. I still destroyed it. Oh, oh. my goodness. You got to have fun with Dennis. Dennis Dennis can talk um, a big game, so you got you got to let him have it back. Yeah. I think that's the only way I'll beat you at pinball, Jeff, is to trash talk you into oblivion. <laughs> I don't know about that. Speaking of trying to beat you at pinball, uh, Scott sent us, me and Jeff, throughout the week as we were kind of discussing show notes and whatnot, um, Cowboy Pinball. If you haven't seen this, I'm going to try to link it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. But I bet I bet I could beat you at Cowboy Pinball. You wanna you wanna try this out, Jeff? There's there's no chance. This is the ultimate dude. Hold my beer. I I work at a hospital, and that's that's the standard joke. The the two things that are said right before someone comes to the ER is y'all check this out. Hold my beer. And for some reason, they got twenty rednecks to go and stand in the middle of a rodeo and have a bull come chasing at them, and they're supposed to not move. Yeah, it's. You never want to be the pop bumper for a bull. Yeah, no, they, they there's not enough depends in the world to outfit enough cowboys to go out there. But you get a hundred bucks if you grab it the hundred dollar bill off its giblets or its it, flank. I don't know what they called it. That is a special kind of stupid. Your deductible is way more than that. You gotta understand though, these people I don't know where this was filmed, I can't remember if it was in Texas or whatnot. These small towns, this is what fun is. Uh, sorry, my father, he, one of their favorite games was, is they would get drunk 
and then they would find a paddle and they would find a bull out in the middle of the field and they'd run up to the bull, slap the bull on the nuts with the paddle and then run off and try not to get ran over. I mean, this is like, this is like Tommy boy. (laughs) It is what it is. And so I don't know. Maybe that's why I enjoy pinball more because I, I don't have to worry about getting stabbed to death by a bullhorn. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just run. I don't need the hundred bucks. Yeah, no, I wouldn't even get in the rink. Like, there's no way. Yeah, not even for a hundred bucks. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to dial that up a lot. Yeah, it'll it'd have to be <laughs> at least two hundred. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is going to be a long lived. Okay. Sport actually, I think, I think that's actually been done at a lot of rodeos. I hear about cowboy pinball, but now <laughs> what if they put a stern new pinball machine on the line? You know, maybe you get that WWE that you've always been looking for. Maybe, yeah, WWE. They have a few LEs left. You, you get on that, and we'll, we'll go from there. How about that, Scott? Yeah, I think I'm good. <laughs> All right, well, moving on, let's get talking about the uh, pinball betting that's starting to pop up. Everyone's trying to uh, bet on the circuit finals. Are either one of you in on this? I, I'm not a better. No, I'm not going to bet on pinball. It's just pinball's too cruel. I, like the ball bounces the wrong way in basketball and screws you on bets all the time. It's sure to do it in pinball. Oh. Well, and I want to – Bowen Karen's actually posted this on his Facebook page. And I kind of agreed what he says. I'm going to quote it really quick. Um, this is from his girlfriend, Kristen. It just seems best for all involved if independence is absolutely clear. Putting aside the fact that sports betting is still illegal in most states, Illinois included, in most sports bettings, your players aren't also the referees. They aren't the ones deciding which bats are legal or making sure what the lines are painted correctly on the court, etc. So it seems yeah. if we as a community are going to endorse betting on pinball, which I'm personally not for, it seems like we're we'd be better get. It seems like we better get a lot more serious on the independence of those involved with setting up tournaments and those who compete. And it goes on a yep. little bit more than that. But I I never really thought of it until they had said that, and I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of true. You could, it would be easily rigged. Which I'm not saying we're going to do that. I'm not saying anyone would be willing to do that. But yeah, well, I, I, I think you have to yeah. in a sport that has betting the athletes have to be compensated well well above what they could possibly get by fixing something. Sure. Um, but one thing is with betting is there has to be 100% integrity in the sport to make the bet, uh, you, I don't know, legit, valid. Yeah, I don't know yeah, how to know what you mean. say it. But one thing that happens a lot, and I've seen it happen in pinball, and I've had been offered to do it, too is sometimes when players get to the finals they just agree to split the pot and they're not necessarily playing their hardest for the first second third and fourth finish they just kind of casually play out that because they're already and maybe someone or another will play a little bit harder because they do want the first place trophy but yeah i've seen it where it's just not that big of a deal for them i don't know if and there's no way to enforce it, right? Like you can't right. tell how hard someone's actually playing. So pinball is a little bit different. And and there's a really good point being made about the rulings. Um, boy, if there's money being placed, it's crazy to think. Could you imagine if uh, 
one of the players in the NBA Finals was also a ref? That's crazy. That is crazy. Well, and people are willing to sandbag for Whopper points. I mean, I think someone would be more willing to sandbag for money at that point. Sure. So. Yeah, I, I, I just uh, legitimately, I just don't see it being a huge issue. But I, I'm not a, a gambler, so I don't really understand why you'd really want to. Yeah. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for the news. I don't know if you guys had anything else you wanted to talk about. Me personally, actually, I want to talk about one thing before we get going. Uh, I came out last Friday to, because my wife for Valentine's Day wanted to see Wicked, and we'd never seen that play before. And she allowed me 20 minutes to play pinball, and I was pretty excited. I, 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 that sounds terrible. She did not allow me. It wasn't <laughs> like, yeah, anyhow, I didn't have to ask permission or anything like that. But I just told her, I'm like, hey, we got 20 minutes to kill. It's a fine if you'll play pinball. I hadn't been down to Taquitos yet. I went and checked that place out. Got my hands on a Monsters. Yeah, that game is entirely too dark for its own good. I don't know. It's so dark. It's, yeah, like I was trying to see what was going on, and it's it's fun. Don't get me wrong, but like I wasn't super impressed. Um, but I only played three games on it. Um, but it was still enjoyable. Like, yeah, I would like to get more time on it. Yeah, I I'm I'm not okay. Like, so on my last episode of my podcast, I just kind of. So I'm a little bit meh on it. I'm now to the point where I think it's just kind of a dumb game. It's not unfixable, but rule wise, it's just kind of dumb. Um, You can get into the wizard mode of that thing so fast. Um, I don't know. It's just, it it needs some work. Uh, Well, there's some fun stuff to do there, but it just needs some work. Yeah, my first time playing that, I'm not an avid, I, I would not put myself in the top 100 players of the world. I got I was four modes in and not even paying attention and I'm going to legitimate legitimize our podcast right now by officially announcing Lee I was playing with Lee because he's always at Keto's for some odd reason <laughs> he said he, he is. said we're not legit till we say his names so but I ran to him there and we were playing together and he's like dude what were you doing I'm like I don't know. And he's like, you were one mode away from starting up the wizard mode or the mini wizard mode. I was like, oh, I didn't even notice like I was just hitting the ball around because I wanted to see what would, you know, you know how it is when you get on a pinball machine for the first time. You just want to see what happens. Shooting flashing lights. Exactly. Forget the, forget the guidelines. But I don't know. Yeah. It, it was enjoyable. Don't get me wrong, but I was actually enjoying Deadpool more than I was enjoying Monsters. So, but no, it, it was pretty fun. And then I actually hit Nick, Nickel Mania and they got Indiana Jones in there, but not the good one. Oh, the one that you can play for an hour and 45 minutes. That was my first impression of it. I was playing and I was playing and 15 minutes goes by. My wife's like, are you going to move on to a new machine? And it gets to that point where like, do I just drain and walk away? Do I keep going? Like it's like 65 million. And I finally decided just to drain out because, well, that's the thing. It just gives you extra balls too. I was like, where am I getting extra balls from? Extra balls and multi balls, man. Oh my goodness. It's never a good feeling when you can't wait for your ball to drain. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of those games that if I see it, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'll go put some initials up on it because <laughs> I just know I can. I can play it until I'll go check the high scores. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm shooting for. Okay, got it. See, I think that's why they never have that version of Indiana Jones at Disneyland and they have the Williams version because yeah. if they had that version, there would be one dude playing all day. Yep, yep. Yep. Well, that's what also threw me for a loop that day. My first game on Indiana Jones, and I got to put my name up on this the scoreboard. I was like, "What? 
what the crap? <laughs> so, and I was all excited. I took the picture and put on Pindigo and I'm like four out of the other four people that have played. I'm like, how am I at the bottom? And I realized if I was draining out at 65 million, someone definitely went higher than that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah uh, I, I, it's crazy. The first time I played it, I just thought there's not much I like about this. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it just didn't feel like I want to come back and put another quarter. in. No, it's not good. It's neat when it dumps a bunch of balls out of the arc, but that hey, novelty you can, wears you can off. Buy Aerosmith yeah. and do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know what's funny though? My wife is not an avid pinball player at all. She looked at me and she's like, "Wow, they finally got rid of Shrek. That one is a turd." <laughs> like, if my if my wife doesn't, her favorite pinball machine right now is Whirlwind because it blows you in the face when you start the topper. That's <laughs> I like. like <laughs> it's a good game. Don't get me wrong, but like what I'm saying is, is if if something about pinball is your favorite and it's actually not really technically pinball, <laughs> it's a fan that's timed. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Uh, and you're claiming Shrek's a turd, there must be a problem with Shrek, but I don't know. That could just be me. It's not really a turd. It's just, it's the reason why I haven't sold it is because the two games, well, the three games I have that are so different than the others, I have Shrek, I have um, um, Black Rose, and I have Wizard of Oz. And if you look at those three compared to all the others, they are, well, I guess you could put Simpsons Pinball Party in there. But all the other ones I have are very similar in like a fan layout or something. I and mean, they're great games, but I have a hard time selling something that is uh, that fills a unique niche in my uh, grouping. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Well, let's wrap this up. We've been going over for a little more of an hour. Um, yeah. Jeff, where can we find you? Uh, pinball related, just everywhere. I. I know you've got your other thing too, and it's fantastic. I've been listening to Have We Met Yet? Or Have yeah. We Met? It's, that's great. If you haven't checked that out, I would recommend checking that out. Yeah, that's coming back. So, um, yeah, for pinball, it's just the pinballpodcast.com. Um, the most pretentious named pinball podcast out there. Um, so, yeah, the pinball podcast. Yeah, the thing you mentioned, Have We Met? It's my other podcast, just Have We Met? Met.net. Um, new episodes coming soon on that. And if you don't know me and you want to come on that show, uh, fill out a form on the site. That'd be fun. Uh, I don't have much else going on. I just trying to get a little bit more active again, back into pinball. I kind of took a little bit of a break, but, um, coming back. So yeah, that's most of my stuff. Uh, jar one fifty five, pretty much everywhere. If you want to like, find me like on Instagram or social media or whatever. Awesome. So, and you guys know where to find us. We are at the loser kid pinball podcast at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Android, wherever your podcast dreams are taken. I don't know. And if you want to reach out to us, uh, Facebook's probably the best way I've got Scott hooked up on there now. So you will not only get a hold of me, but you can also get a hold of Scott through the loser kid pinball podcast at Facebook and uh, loser kid pinball podcast at gmail.com. So, uh, great conversations. I've been kind of shocked at the warm reception we've been receiving. I did not expect this kind of, uh, uh, people reaching out to us when we started this. I did this as a goof off. Hey, you guys get shout outs all yeah. over the place. Mad shoutouts. <laughs> I've been really shocked at all of it. I really have been. So no, it made sense to me. I, I, I expected it. So 
You guys are well, doing thank great. Thank you. We appreciate it. So, yep. well, thanks, Jeff. Yep. Thanks, All guys. Right. Catch you later.